The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. First episode of the season here on the Dunked On Basketball NBA podcast, but our joy was really stolen not five minutes into that first game with this terrible Gordon Hayward injury. It is a dislocated ankle and a fractured tibia for Hayward. I was amazed that he was as conscious and lucid as he seemed I mean, it was just a, an absolutely gruesome injury i was lucky enough to not actually see what happened like right away and he obviously went down and you could tell from the reaction of the players on the floor that i mean the last time i saw players react like that was that paul george injury in 2014 it was horrible. I saw it live. It w- you could tell in because we were in the media room who was who was who saw it and who didn't because it just like it just took it took the life out of you. It was just it was so tough. And Hayward, you know, was ex- such a key part of why the Celtics were exciting this season. And we don't know how long. I, I don't want to speculate on the timetable here, but it was bad. It looked bad. And this is a fundamentally different team for however long it is that they're without it. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I think people have talked about it. I, the Jeff Stotts was saying, you know, probably out for the year. David Chow was saying you know, eight to 12 months. So I really, and I saw, I heard that elsewhere also. So I would be extremely surprised if he were able to come back. I mean, this is not the same injury that Paul George had. In fact, it might be a worse one, frankly, with the ankle dislocation. But George, you remember that happened in August and he returned. Wasn't the same player as well, uh, but did return for a few games at the end of that season and that was about an eight month recovery for him so really i mean if he's not back by the start of the playoffs you'd think it would be a huge surprise they brought him back during the playoffs so i I think it's pretty safe to assume that he's going to be out for the year the good news is that in a lot of ways fractures are better and we saw this with George, then ligament injuries, right? Like bones heal. So I think the real issue as far as his career, I I don't think anyone is saying that this is going to be career ending, which is good. But the real issue with his career is going to be that ankle dislocation and whether he's able to come back from that. But I mean, at this point, I think it's uh it's looking like just massive consequences for the Celtics this year and they're gonna have to find a way now to go on without Gordon Hayward and we apologize for the it almost seems in some ways insensitive to go on and and discuss what uh their team is gonna look like but you know I mean that's kind of what what we have to do here in our jobs and so what is this gonna mean for their season Danny? Hayward was so capable last year taking on initiation with the with the Jazz as George Hill went in and out of the lineup I was very impressed 
impressed with the way that he shouldered that burden. And it was such a natural fit with Kyrie Irving because Irving has played with that type of guy for the most successful years of his career. And there is no other player on the Celtics at a position other than point guard who can really do that. So they're going to be in a a different role, you know, probably a lot more Marcus Smart. And something that we saw in the first half of this game, and full credit to them for really rebounding in that second half, playing with it, and we'll talk about that later on. But what we saw in that first half, I think we'll see a fair amount in the future, which is decent shots created, but for guys that are not the best at shooting those. And so then that makes them kind of a make or miss team. And it's going to be a lot about whether Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum can hit their open threes. That's a challenge for them. It's a very different value proposition than having Gordon Hayward's foundation there. And also he had proven to be a much better defender over the last couple of years, and they will miss him on that end as well. Yeah, they they will. Marcus Morris, when he comes back, is another guy who there's going to be a lot of pressure on him. He's got a little bit better pedigree as a shooter than those guys you mentioned. But yeah, I I expect them to still generate a lot of three-pointers. I am not sure that they are going to make a lot of three-pointers this year. We could see them miss quite a few of those. And for the Celtics, I mean, mean, you have to wonder, you know, I had them at 50 wins before this. You have to wonder now if there's going to reach a tipping point without Hayward where they just don't have enough guys who really know how to play, especially offensively. And we saw tonight how important Al Horford was to them as really that one guy who can facilitate everything at the elbows. Hayward is probably really the only other guy who's an above average passer for his position maybe smart is starting to get there a little bit but I think just as a glue guy who would move the ball who had played in a motion heavy system a guy who is not really as committed to getting their own offense or someone who's young like a Tatum or a Jalen Brown who's trying to establish their own career maybe ahead of of where the team is I think they are really really going to miss him especially defensively as well I think he could have done a much better job down the stretch that he didn't start on LeBron but I think he could have guarded him much better down the stretch than Jalen Brown did in this game and so you have to wonder I mean if if we thought of them as a 50 win team with Hayward what does this mean for them now I mean are they going to be I mean I think they'll still pretty clearly make the playoffs they have enough talent to do that and and maybe these rookies will really come through but they're gonna really be relying on those guys now and you have to think you know 45 wins low 40s like that might be where they're gonna end up this year potentially my first thought was low 40s i they're gonna miss hayward a lot on both ends and this also as i harp on with almost every injury it puts so much stress on the rest of the team to stay healthy because now then you get into if somebody else goes down they're you know they have a lot of forwards but they don't have a lot of you know creators and things like that so I think low 40s is probably where I would be right now. And, you know, that's it's not as much of a focus on... 2017-18 now as it would have been if they had not made the Kyrie Irving trade. You know, if Isaiah were going into free agency and everything else, this would be a very different conversation. But it still matters. I mean, there's still going to be players in so many other things, whether we're talking about big trades or just the the Eastern Conference as, as we look forward to it. And something else we should mention just briefly is Bobby Marks put this together very well and, of course, a tough circumstance that the Celtics will be able eligible to apply for the disabled player exception which would be worth 8.4 million 
they have until March 10th to use it, assuming they get it, which they will. And they have, they can sign, claim, or trade somebody, trade for somebody as long as they have exactly one year remaining on their contract. Yeah, that $8.4 million equal to the mid-level exception and could be used until March 10th. Uh, they have to apply for that, but presumably they would be granted it. Uh, in some ways, they are a little bit better positioned to weather this than a lot of these teams that we've seen lose great threes because most teams, you know, three is such a, a rare position in the NBA that most teams just, you know, don't have any kind of backup. I mean, at least they can look at the fact that they're not going to be having to play any replacement level guys hopefully maybe semi old delay will have to play a little bit more though once marcus morris comes back i don't think they even necessarily will need him they can play some more two guard lineups with uh with irving and rozier they can extend smarts minutes more even someone like abdel nader maybe could give them some minutes uh so i i think they're gonna be maybe they can weather this a little bit better than some teams could but i just i i think they're gonna reach this point where it's just too much inexperience too much maybe i don't want to say selfish play but more individually focused offensive players and especially i think when al horford is out of the game they're going to really really struggle now um because aaron baines obviously is not that type of facilitator that that keeps everything moving and now this is definitely the hardest coaching job at least a brad stevens nba career maybe even moving forward because it's just the lack of continuity the lot you know it's just a lot of things changing and they maybe they can make it through it maybe they can go through it and you know in the long term getting some confidence in these young guys because it looks like they're team is going to stay together now for a little while maybe that works out for them but i mean it just it really did cast a shadow over over the proceedings as it should you know this was an important thing it was a team that we were very excited about but you know there was still a basketball game to be played and as i said a little bit earlier full credit to the celtics for after getting shell-shocked, you know, basically for the end of the first quarter, the rest of the first quarter, and to a point the second quarter, they really did fight back, and Cleveland gave them a little more ground than they should have. Yeah, they did. I mean, they defended the Celtics very well in the first half. It was 54-38 at halftime. The Celtics only a 76 offensive rating in the first half. And Cleveland's offense didn't really look that good to me in the first half either, but Boston's offense really looked rough. Cleveland did go to more switching. That was something that Chris Fedor talked about was going to happen, that they were going to go to that scheme more. Uh, They did do that. Boston, without Hayward, was really unable to take advantage in large part uh, until the second half, which we'll talk about. But we did see Jason Tatum have a nice debut. Jalen Brown, career high, 25 points, although he was 11 to 23 from the field. Definitely was able to create shots in Hayward's absence. So we're going to find out whether these guys are good or not. And Jason Tatum in particular, I mean, he might become a little bit more of a favorite for rookie of the year now. Probably still not going to get up enough shot attempts, but he's going to have all the playing time he can handle, especially if those two guys are starting. They're really going to be relied upon to create offense now for this team. And they'll have their chances in in some ways it could be good for boston to develop them also good for them to develop their trade value potentially and good for those guys careers as well so you know there are opportunities that arise even when you see an injury like this um why don't we shift to cleveland here you have some general observations about how they played their transition and help defense was shaky last year i mean that was a big part of their undoing against the warriors in the finals they can survive that most of the time but good 
good lord were they bad in both of those capacities for a lot of this game. And it doesn't matter until the playoffs. Cleveland can coast along. But it, I was just a reminder, like, especially if they're going to play Derrick Rose and Dwayne Wade together, if they, you know, if they don't score on that possession, the other team's going to have a good shot at a bucket. Well, the th- big thing that stuck out to me, yeah, their, their transition defense wasn't great. Their D was pretty good in the first half, and then they got killed by Marcus Smart in the third quarter. And But I thought their bigger problem actually was not being able to score in the second half. Yeah, and, that's a good point. And even in the first half, they only took eight threes in the first half. Uh, five out of 22 for the game and then they took a further 22 shots for mid-range not a, a team that took a lot of those and when they did it was mostly Kyrie Irving a great mid-range shooter taking those shots now they don't really have anyone necessarily like that and Wade and Rose kind of what you would expect from them only four three-point attempts the only one that was made was a desperation heave at the end of the third by Rose which actually ended up being the winning margin the 102-99 victory for the Cavs uh, Wade only took one three-point attempt and those guys combined for eight out of 24 from the field and only got to the foul line four times so if those guys can't get to the foul line and aren't going to make threes it's very difficult for them to be efficient and then you see those guys combining for 24 shots lebron had to play 41 minutes a, a amazing game for him again 12 of 19 from the field 16 rebounds nine assists but so few of his assists now are going to be threes right and then you saw when they went to jr smith they were kind of back to what they were previously smith 22 minutes, 10 points, plus seven. Rose was minus seven in his 31 minutes and wade was even in his 29 minutes only had eight points on three of ten so everything i think that we said about this team maybe they'll get a little bit more comfortable with each other rose i mean just watching him looked pretty spry but he looked that way too last year and he just you know he he doesn't put the ball in the basket efficiently because he's not a great finisher around the rim even though he gets there so he's not efficient there he's not getting the foul line and he's not getting any assists only two assists and he's not hitting any threes so he can create these impressive looking drives but then you look down and he's five out of 14 so uh, i really don't see uh, and then kevin love who's by far more efficient than rose or wade nine field goal attempts that's not great either it's definitely a concern for me about how this offense is going to look and it's going to be lebron was really the only guy who was able to create an efficient offense uh other than jr lebron was awesome in this game and as you said the changes in their in their offense are going to be so fascinating because of the composition of the shots is just it has to change and love playing center you know a larger portion of time Tristan Thompson only played 19 and a half minutes in this game how they balance all of that is going to be it's going to be a challenge the whole year like figuring out their rotations is going to be hard and then they're going to have to do it again they're going to have to do it at least twice in this season just because Isaiah coming back and everything else and it's more they need him though I think oh man they need him so badly they either need him they either need him or they need to start J.R. Smith you know, and they, they close this game, and we'll get down the stretch to, to what happened there, but they closed this game with Rose and Wade in the backcourt, and it really, you know, they were, Boston wasn't quite dialed in. They have all these young guys, but then when they started not guarding Rose and Wade, they're really able to muck up a lot of the stuff that the Cavs were trying to do. And can you imagine if they didn't start Kevin Love and just park him out at the three-point line, like how bad their spacing would be if they had Thompson out there too? Yeah, and the challenge here also is dealing with guys that have big names and big egos. I mean, you're going to be dealing with 
I mean, Rose going to the bench, that's not going to be a big deal because Isaiah is a way better player. But, you know, the wade Jarrah Smith dynamic is going to be challenging this whole year. I mean, Wade is one of LeBron's best friends. He was brought onto the team for a reason. But I think Jarrah Smith is a much better fit for what they're trying to do and what they need than Wade is. So how are they going to rectify that? How are they going to reconcile it? And yeah, if LeBron, you know, if he drops a ridiculous line like he did here and then uh, when we were worried about, you know, starting the year with that ankle issue, didn't seem to didn't seem to rattle him too much here. But that's going to be just a a challenge for them is can LeBron be that superhuman? How are they going to balance that? And this was 41 minutes in a October regular season game. If they're going to at certain points more often than in prior years need him for that, it's still the regular season. They need him to have as much juice as possible for the playoffs because that's all that matters to this team. In fairness, he has made the point before. I think that it's not so much the minutes as it is the games played that it doesn't really it's not that bad for him to play a few more minutes but you know and and obviously he played these many minutes last year and he was uh totally ready to go in the finals had a wonderful finals and playoffs so maybe he can keep up with it uh, but at his age and by the way i made the point on twitter today that uh, at nate duncan nba if by some miracle you don't follow me already uh that he's playing at a level that really only one other 32 year old has ever reached and that's michael jordan uh to still be playing at this level of you know a top three player in the game at this age so that's really impressive one thing that i did really want to talk about when we get back to boston is we saw the most space principle in very very fine form with the cleveland coaching staff and players who had to deal with Kyrie's inability to defend or unwillingness to defend load these many years just go right at him every single time especially by just involving him in the primary action and knowing that it de facto forces a switch and so a lot of times teams will use that to just take advantage with the the point guard going on the big but the best counter to that with Kyrie is actually to have the screener just post him up because Kyrie folds like tissue paper and Cleveland did that mercilessly throughout this game yeah LeBron was so locked in on that if it was love setting the screen I mean you say de facto switch they're not necessarily supposed to switch but any screen involving Kyrie just ends up being a switch because he's just going to not get over the screen and then whether it was Crowder whether it was love they just threw it into the post he got a couple of fouls and then just was letting them do whatever they wanted um and there were some plays late too where he didn't really he didn't help out in a back screen gave up an alley-oop on that one um Let's see, what are some other observations that we had here? Dwayne Wade did have a couple of nasty blocks. He got Tatum once late to set off fast breaks. Those were pretty impressive to see him bring it at least down the end as an element as the greatest shot blocking guard of all time. Uh I thought it was interesting uh, to see. Yeah, go ahead. I thought Sorry. Terry Rozier looked pretty good. You know, more comfortable than in prior years. I still think he's a straight backup. I don't really like him playing with Kyrie that much at this point. But if he can fill that role, that might be more necessary now if Marcus Smart is one of the guys who they consider to move into the starting five. Yeah, and they may do that. That'll help keep their defense at about the same level. I think Smart is obviously a great defensive player. Uh, Smart, for his part, had one of the worst halves I've ever seen him have in the first half. He was just trying to take every shot a lot of stuff they were running actually when he and Kyrie were in the game was running Kyrie off the ball and Smart was probably a little too aggressive you could see that they were unable to agree on that contract extension which we'll talk about later in news but whatever he was thinking he was going to get paid he was definitely gunning to get all that in the first half and then he 
was able to make some hay in the second half just posting i mean he was posting up kyle corver who has four inches on him he was posting up jr who has three inches on him and just getting fouled and killing them he was four for five in the third quarter after going uh oh for eight really got them back into the game a third quarter in which they outscored cleveland 33 to 18 uh i think uh i would have actually had smart guarding lebron late jalen brown was on him and just brown for whatever reason just cannot play strong like he's got this really jack body but he just doesn't understand leverage like jared weiss and i were talking about that earlier this week on the celtics preview that he just it does not play physically at all and at least on defense on offense he'll post up and get good position but on defense he just does not know how to use his body he doesn't play hard enough and so uh LeBron was just going right through him every time he, he tried to post up. Uh, so I think I could have gone with Smart there instead. Um, well, one of the stories that that ties in with, a story of this of this night, both games, was the virtue of strength relative to your size. Because in this game, Marcus Smart was able to do that on guys who are taller than he is, but you know he has, he has the strength and the, the will to kind of push through them. And then I think that was true in the second game as well with Eric Gordon at moments, Chris Paul at moments, P.J. Tucker at moments, being able to max that and and we do sometimes lose appreciation for it because length is very valuable i mean you could see that all over the floor in both of these games but players that know how to use their physical advantages are very very dangerous in the nba yeah and braun i don't want to kill him because he did have a very very nice offensive game uh eight of 12 at the rim I mean, for 12 shots at the rim he was a terror getting out in transition obviously we talked about the Cavs. uh only two of nine from three though missed all five of his above the break shots and including two wide open threes in the last two minutes of the game that uh, either of which could have really changed the conception he missed that one to tie late uh let's talk a little bit about the end of the game here Boston went with their starting lineup except with just smart in for Hayward so Tatum he had a nice game he had 14 points 5 of 12 from the field did take some tough launches I, I did like that he at least looked comfortable taking the three-pointer I, I thought that Kyrie too had with 10 assists did have a little bit nicer of, a, of an offensive game um he dimed some guys up in the pick and roll late as well uh where i wanted to pick it up though is the ato that or the atio as the Cavs like to call it that the Cavs ran twice in the last couple of minutes for lebron where they had wade pop to the elbow or the free throw line and then just stationed rose and love on the weak side Kyrie was being guarded uh, or uh crowder was being guarded by Kyrie. crowder set the back screen for lebron Kyrie didn't help the first time gave up an alley-oop dunk and then the second time smart came all the way over from the weak side to not guard rose to stop the initial play again when Kyrie didn't help out that much but then they triple teamed lebron and lebron threw a great pass to the opposite side to love in the corner for a three one of those passes that you know not a lot of guys can make when they, you're facing that level of uh defensive pressure but that was a good job by lou attacking Kyrie, and he likes running those back screen sets for lebron a lot out of timeouts it's very difficult to Yeah, and I think it was that third guy that really caused the problems for Boston because LeBron, you lose the benefit of really kind of... speeding him up or stressing him out and he has the vision to make that pass and so yeah i mean there's always been a peril with doubling him and and he found love hit him right in the right in the pocket and it was just a beautiful play that helped kind of give them a little bit more momentum because boston had been really chipping away at the lead that cleveland had up to that point i think that made it 96 95 from what i recall right uh yeah and then after oh you're talking about that three now the the three happened a little bit later oh it might be right uh 
Yeah, yeah. Sorry, my notes are a little bit. Oh yeah, because the three here, put him up by four. It, it was that's right. Right, exactly. I mean, I mean, Boston led this game by three with two minutes left, ninety eight, ninety five, and then only scored one more point, and, and Cleveland scored seven. Uh, but one of the big plays was Love beasting Jalen Brown for an offensive rebound, and that was another one of those plays where he just didn't play f- physically enough. Love got two free throws out of that to bring him within one with about one forty left, and then Kyrie threw a beautiful pass to Smart after they switch rose couldn't find smart fast enough after the switch smart with a great cut lebron helped from the weak side corner and then they threw it a good pass by smart to jalen brown just all day to shoot a wide open three and you know it wasn't a bad miss or anything but it did not go in and then it was a somewhat controversial play where lebron attacked it in transition this gave Cleveland the lead and because it was transition the Celtics and just because they have a lot of young guys out there who don't know to do this they didn't help enough off of those non-shooters in transition and LeBron just went right through Jalen Brown again he went to a jump stop and then pivoted some people were saying that this is a travel and this is somewhat of a controversial rule where they say it's a travel if you land with on a jump stop with your feet like not perfectly at the same time I always thought that was just a useless distinction I don't understand why it would matter whether your feet hit at the same time or one at a time it's still the same number of steps and then he pivoted and that people were saying that was a travel i didn't think it was and if it is it's a stupid rule and there's no way the rest can tell in traffic in a loud arena whether the guy's heat feet hit at the same time that's just i always felt that was a stupid rule um and i thought it was a good move by lebron and and should not have been and then the next play was another was just ridiculous one by lebron because it looked like marcus smart was going to be wide open as a part of an action that originally started as a pick and pop for horford LeBron came from the weak side, read the play beautifully, and was able to was able to change possession. And that, that I think that was what really swung. Because at that point, if you remember, it was it was only a one point lead. Boston had the ball, and and then they you know go back the other way, and then it was I think it was only ever a single possession game on the last possession of the game. Yeah, they ran that same play. That was the love three after that. And then Shumpert committed a dumb off-ball foul before it was even inbounded. So Smart hit a free throw there to get him within three at 102.99. That ended up being the final score. Uh, Kyrie tried to drive it and we were joking that, hey, at least he got the two for one when he drove and took a pretty tough shot. Rose actually played pretty good one-on-one defense. Rose is better as a one-on-one defender. When you put him through screens, he can't get through him, but uh, he at least still has the physical talent to defend one-on-one and he made Kyrie's finish tough he didn't even hit the rim uh, on that attempted finish LeBron then tried to run the clock down and shoot that three from the left wing stepping to his left over Horford and I love the fact that Stevens went with the no timeout after that I especially love going for a no timeout when you need a three because the other team can't be like okay no threes no threes and it worked out perfectly that way right they threw it ahead to Jalen Brown who's in transition Derek Rose I mean you're up three you got to have your with seven seconds left you got to have your heel at least on the three-point line Rose backed off and just let Jalen Brown shoot a wide open left wing three that they missed and then LeBron he wasn't able to get the rebound Horford tapped it out to Kyrie on the right wing but he was up there in the air fighting for that rebound the ball got tapped out to Kyrie and somehow no other Cav reacted to Kyrie except LeBron. LeBron got all the way from fighting for the rebound in the air and somehow he was there when Kyrie caught the ball to make him put it on the floor, dribble and shoot an impossible three that ended up airballing. Although uh, someone in, in our midst did not think it was an airball. Hey, it got nothing <laughs> but net, man. In, it got funny. nothing but net. It just it just <laughs> didn't go in the circle first. Yeah, I... I, I no, you let out a yell I in did. the media room and I was like, oh, no, I, it didn't it, go in. From my... Yeah, I 
thought it did. And I also, I kind of wanted it to. So that would, because that would have been so wonderful. But yeah, it was an, a, a great reflection those last couple minutes of how LeBron is so special defensively, making plays that very few other people do, both due to his athleticism and his recognition. I mean, that's what makes him special along with some other guys. So I thought it was a really impressive performance from him. Certainly some things that Boston can take away from that second half as they move forward. And unfortunately for them, they don't get a, there's no, no rest for the weary. They play at home on Wednesday night against the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, that's uh, not the back-to-back you want to be playing. And I mean, I think given how tragically the game started for Boston, you have to feel pretty good about where they ended up. I mean, to have Jalen Braun have a game like this, Jason Tatum didn't look like a fish out of water. Uh, Al Horford looks like he's still the same guy this year so far. They got a nice contribution from Smart after he had a rough first half. And going to him in the post is something that they can get something out of. But you know, this uh, this is a team that we thought was going to be an elite offensive squad, and now without Hayward I'm not sure that that's going to be the case and I think the other thing we didn't mention too going forward is well Kyrie wanted his own team he's got it now you know I mean this is if he really is that great of a player you know you would hope I mean they still have a fair amount of talent around him you know he's gonna have to lead this team to at least be solidly in the playoffs before people might say all right you know like you wanted this team and now uh you weren't actually capable of rising to that challenge and really leading this team to victories yeah that's for sure and the Cavs, eh, you know i'm a little worried about them we'll we'll see i mean it, it was i want to see how their defense looks but i mean with wade rose and love in the starting lineup and then you got these two non-shooters with rose and wade uh it's diff- i think it could be difficult i i, I don't have the right them. it's gonna take some time i don't have the right analogy here it's like it's like a, a a one of those logic puzzles i don't know if you we did them for lsat prep but those logic puzzles but where you just like can't figure out where to line up the people like that sort of a thing and i think it's gonna be a show oh i can figure it out it's just with all the egos involved it's just gonna be difficult and brian windhorse had a nice piece about this today where he said basically that you know they kind of realize that wade isn't the best fit but lebron kind of owes wade a little bit and they have this relationship and this is what lebron wants and so they're doing it essentially and we'll see how long this lasts uh but you know i don't expect them to have a ton of success right out of the gate here um all right we'll get to houston and golden state another great game actually Uh, but first this from our friends at draft Fantasy basketball fans, it's time to try something new for Daily Fantasy. Draft is Daily Fantasy basketball, but not like the other guys because they're not using a salary cap league. Instead, you play with real-life snake drafts with other people, but it means that with the snake draft, it's much harder for these professional players who win the majority of the money on traditional salary cap sites to anticipate how things are going to go in a snake draft and it it takes long enough you can't just submit your lineup ahead of time you actually put in two or three minutes which is not that long for you but if you're one of these pros who's has to trying to play in 100 games a night they they can't do that so you're playing against you know actual real fans like yourself instead of professional players who are spending tens of hours a week studying this and coming up with the best lineups and getting these economies of scale so that's why draft is a better way of doing it they even take care of last minute injuries for you as well and drafts start every couple of minutes you could join one at any time really it just lasts for one night so there's no management season long you can play again every night if you want and play for cold hard cash the drafts start from just one dollar so there's a draft for everyone 
The way to get started with them, search Draft in your app store and you can join a game or play right from your computer at draft.com. Just make sure you use my promo code CATSPACE. That'll get you free entry into a draft when you make your first deposit so you can play a real money game for free with that promo code CATSPACE. Of course, let them know that you came from us as well. That's the Draft app or draft.com. Use that promo code CATSPACE on your first deposit. Well, tough to take away a ton from this game about Golden State. Ring Knights have an odd psychology to them golden state was relatively dominating this game until draymond green went out andre godala didn't play due to back stiffness green went out at the end of the third quarter with a strained left knee but says afterwards that he's going to be fine I thought really the bigger takeaway was I I thought Houston looked great. And they looked great in a lot of different ways. I thought Harden, both physically, you know, I thought he looked more lithe than usual, which was great. And Eric Gordon was spectacular in this game. He was doing it not not really as a shooter, but as a driver. He was taking advantage of various situations, including Jordan Bell on one very nice drive and dunk. And that's something Eric Gordon can do that we sometimes lose appreciation for. He actually, you know, so he had a 24-point game and was zero for six from three that's awfully impressive from him i thought pj tucker he had four and one wow in this game eric gordon like uh, the, i can't remember the last time we've seen a guard have four and ones in one game it was really impressive i mean and he you know he blew by bell for that dunk he's i mean he was blown by everybody he got kevon looney he got i think clay thompson like he really was just getting to the basket as well it was incredibly impressive i mean it's not like he was shooting mid-rangers that was all around the rim essentially for him and in fact he was nine of 16 and he took eight free throw attempts and so that many was nine of 10 uh from two-point range really really impressive game for him he was plus 16 and then you're about to mention uh the great game that pj tucker pj tucker 20 points plus 20 four of six from three four of six from the line both of which were very important in this game and you know played strong defense you know stout guy really provide that and actually one of the biggest plays of this game down the stretch was not in any of those ways it was an offensive rebound he was had i believe it was sean livingston on him he was you know he's much stronger than sean livingston and drew a foul which ended up giving houston an opportunity to score more points and push the margin yeah tucker i mean now you know he hit four of his first five three-point attempts and i i was a little skeptical of that signing because Tucker had been such a zero offensively in Phoenix to some degree and really in Toronto where he just wasn't taking that many shots and his jumper looks even better in terms of catch and shoot like he had one three where he popped up from the left corner he, he replaced to the left wing caught it on the move nice hop into a three no you didn't see that hitch as much in his shot. Uh, so, so that was fantastic he's not going to shoot that well uh, on threes every game but overall Houston I mean they shot 37 percent on 41 attempts so it's not like you know they had some incredible shooting and the Warriors actually did they were 16 out of 30 and still lost uh, from three which is pretty remarkable and and Bob Mute was the other one right he 14 points six of nine from him those guys combining for six of nine from three and you really saw down the end that when they went to that lineup with Tucker at center, Golden State, especially because they didn't have Green in there and Andre in there, who are much better about helping and recovering and knowing when to help and who to help off of, then, you know, I mean, they had McCaw in there, they had Looney, 
Sean Livingston's a little smarter, but not the same way as Andre and Draymond are. So they were worried about those guys shooting threes as when they had gotten six for nine. And I do think that Houston's culture to some degree where it's just, hey, bomb a three, like this is your job. You're coming out if you don't shoot it. Can help the confidence of guys like that. Never helped Corey Brewer, but guys like this, it can help. So this was really the absolute peak of what Daryl Morey could have wanted playing Tucker at center and Bob Mute in there as well switching everything and then those guys doing enough offensively that they're able to keep both score on their own and keep the defense honest uh so that James Harden was able to go to work late in the game as well and Harden had to go to work late in the game because Chris Paul was on the floor he played 33 minutes but it did not include crunch time and you know I, I he it seems like he was dealing with a lingering leg issue but also they had five players that were doing great so they didn't have to worry about that as much they didn't have to push him which I think is a wonderful thing. And what struck me in this game really from the opening tip was I saw cleanly and plainly what Houston would do in a theoretical seven game series against the Warriors. D'Antoni likes these tight short rotations. Nene got a DNP coach's decision and the way that they attacked the Warriors, the way that they, you know, maybe Ryan Anderson played more in this than he probably would and, and some other things. But by and large, if you see, you know, the, the chemistry and all of that that will build with this team, it looked like like the future it looks like what we're gonna see in mid to late may yeah and, and i'm definitely happy to see this matchup i hope that paul can be a little bit healthier i mean he's four points two for nine limping around especially uh, did have 11 assists but it definitely uh, he had 11 assists harden had 10 i mean and i think that there are it's been written about but they are likely to break the record for the person who has the second most assists on it per game on a team um with these guys and so so we'll see i mean he even wasn't himself defensively too he got taken advantage of a couple times in the post which you don't see as often from him got into foul trouble um you mentioned the centers clint capella was negative 23 in 18 minutes despite having 12 points in those 18 minutes and then nick young for golden state uh, the crowd was going absolutely crazy six of seven from three 23 points uh, on nine shooting possessions for him and somehow he managed to be minus 10 and swaggy p definitely still looking a bit corpulent and while he hit his shots at least the defensive renaissance that he had with the lakers last year appears to be quite in the rearview mirror at least in, until he's able to tone up it was also bit. made so much worse by the warriors not having normal help defense both due to personnel and due to the rockets being the rockets so when he was a turnstile and this is actually something i've talked about with james harden before is also nick young when he lets a guy go by him it's even faster than it is a normal guy and so it it gives the defenders less time to help and so that was a problem on a few of the possessions where the, the guy was just gone or he blew a switch or something like that and you know that's a part of the nick young experience and he's not going to have shooting nights like this all the time but he will at certain points and that is really the value for the warriors is that incandescent scoring but i think what the biggest takeaway on the warrior side other than draymond green is important surprise surprise was when their offense was humming when they really had something close to their best lineups out there, they looked incredible offensively. Yeah, I thought that Houston, though, when did a good job defending them in the half court, uh, and especially when Houston went with with their lineups with Tucker and Abamute out there. And what really killed them was just in transition, they were horribly gave up 36 fast break points and probably had seven or eight possessions, even off a of make sometimes, where they just didn't know who they had and didn't match up in transition at all. And that was definitely an issue that they need to, to clean up. 
Um, and, and I think probably will always be an issue. I just, you know, I don't necessarily trust these guys. Harden, um, in particular, he had a couple of follow-ups. Anderson had some follow-ups. Capella has some skills, but he's not really the most aware, intelligent defender. Um, so maybe they can get there, but I mean, you really got to be on it in transition defense against Golden State. And Golden State led this 101 to 89 or 88 after three, and then just they couldn't score much in the fourth quarter. Got outscored 10 to three down the end, and we'll talk about that down the end. Um, but no, I mean, the, the Warriors are going to look great. And, and we saw through most of the game, Steph Curry only played 29 minutes. He got in foul trouble with his usual stupid ass reaches. Um, we saw Draymond get in foul trouble earlier on as well well kd got into foul trouble it didn't play as many minutes but early on as well and the story through three i thought was that the warriors depth it didn't matter but then once draymond went out it it became a problem and then what i really want to talk about too we can get into the end of the game here was golden state's defense you know partially without the communication of draymond and iguodala out there just had no answers for just the basic thing that houston and everybody else and their brother tries to run at the end of games is just getting steph curry guarding Harden. and i thought there were certain moments where Curry did a decent job, not maybe not as much at the very end of the game, but if you don't really have a a, a way to counter that or something to a, a, a way to really deal with it, then you know Harden's going to have big performances. He's going to have some nice shots, and they were able to generate reliable offense during the end of the game. And I guess you could say that's a concern. Obviously, the personnel is going to be different, but it is notable all the same. Yeah, and, and that was really the vision, right? Is that okay? We can stop them because we. Get- got Tucker and we got Luke out there and then yeah you know those guys aren't great threats but just James Harden going one-on-one in a small small pick and roll is is enough and Harden by the way I mean he just he didn't have the most amazing statistical game but just the way he looks I mean you can actually see some definition in the guy's arms again you know he looks closer to where he was physically when he first got to Houston and what he was able to do his stamina was excellent he didn't run out of gas towards the end of the games which happened a lot and he was actually able to make that strategy work which he wasn't necessarily at times last year down the end of games and just he was blown by guys getting to the rim uh you know he blew past clay thompson just straight one-on-one blew past jordan bell who's a solid switch defender we'll talk about him a little bit more later on but just the juice that he had off the bounce he and gordon both of those guys was really really impressive and i think harden deserves a lot of credit for addressing the fact that he kind of porked up a little bit and his body looks much better and he's just much faster now do you want to move towards the end of the game now or do you want to talk about Jordan Bell and Kerr's rotations first yeah I think we could do that I mean Bell uh, was the McAdoo replacement we talked about him as he's going to be the speed guy when they didn't want to go with Draymond at center and he came in and despite not playing terrible defense necessarily on any of these possessions he got beat for a dunk by Eric Gordon he had a three hit in his eye by Harden I think Gordon scored on him again as well but I thought it was good to see Kerr bring him back out there again stick with the same strategy of switching everything and Bell was much more effective defensively in the second half I think he's going to get to be a quality guy obviously he's going to just have to learn what it's like defensively guarding some of the big stars in the league one-on-one um and then offensively I I thought he was pretty good he he ended up with eight points in his 12 minutes four or five from the field and I think one thing that's kind of underrated about him you know he kind of has this you know Ben Wallace light comparison but he's much more facile around the room he was, did a nice off foot finish it moves the ball around avoids shot blockers like he's not quite a nuclear athlete as far as going up to to dunk although he can get some alley-oops um but he can finish catch and finish around the rim nicely and then he also got two dunks just slipping screens for Clay Thompson he's already getting pretty good at that there was an incident in the preseason 
where Draymond Green told him, hey, be ready to slip the screen and he got a dunk. And so he already did that twice, uh, totally fooled the Rockets on those plays using the gravity of the Warriors shooters. So I think he's going to be a player uh, well worth $3.5 million to acquire the pick. And That's cash considerations is now the backup power forward for the Bulls. So we'll see how that works out. But oh, man, yeah, I guess we got to talk about that at the, at the end of this, too, because that happened. After yeah, we did we'll, our, we'll, our talk, we'll talk about it after um, it. But but so with Bell, the other you talked about how he's the McAdoo replacement. I do think that is what he is long term. But they ended up using him in this game actually as the JaVale McGee stopgap. So he's playing at the end of the first quarter, played at the end of the third. And then they used Kavon Looney as the McAdoo kind of replacement, which was mind blowing because Looney, you know, there's questions about whether they're even going to pick up his fourth year option. But that does tie in with one of the Kerr things, which is when he doesn't feel he should play a traditional center, he's going to go with that type of a guy. And so eventually that spot will be Jordan Bell and Draymond Green. But for this game, it was Jordan Bell and and Kevon Looney. Looney, I thought he was better in the first half than in the second half. And part of that is just because the Rockets put so much stress on your help defenders by virtue of the lineups they put out there. I don't know why he went back to Looney and like for like the major portion of the fourth quarter. D, D West and Zaza were getting torched. Just uh, those guys cannot be out there in pick and roll defense. Like you basically can't play conventional pick and roll defense against Houston. Um, and so they tried to switch with Looney and he had a couple of moments. He got a steal at a nice rebound. Uh, but and he looks more felt himself. He's moving a little better, but still, you know, not a, a guy who can be out there for big minutes. I don't know why they didn't just go back to Belly. It had a nice stint in the third quarter uh, I certainly felt he should have closed the game but and then they finally eventually went to KD at center and that didn't really seem to work out that well either you would ask hey Nick Young had 23 points on nine shots why wouldn't he be out there I thought he should have been out there for that very last possession where they advanced the ball as a shooting threat but I think they just can't trust him to execute the system and he was so bad defensively that I think they're just like you know what he hit these shots that's great but uh you know we can't trust him to execute for those of you who see the Warriors in person this year especially recognize use this use geek use the promo code capspace watch how much attention the other warriors give nick young when they're on defense like i remember there were a few times where sean livingston is just pointing to people and be like that's where you need to go that's what you need to do and it's basically every guy on the warriors job to tell nick young where to be and it's amusing because they usually are so reliable in that way and so incorporating him is going to be this kind of a challenge and they'll make it work you know it's not the it's not the biggest thing in the world if he's not good they won't play him but it is worth watching because the you know the Warriors are going to have high stakes they'll probably have like a five to ten minute stretch where Nick Young's defense is going to matter so at the end of the game we can pick it up here. It was 119-118. Steph blew by Trevor Ariza in a move that made the crowd gasp. And then they swung it around to Patrick McCaw, who hit a corner three that wasn't actually a corner three. Patrick kind of steps forward a little bit with his right foot. Not a ton of room in that corner, but I mean that him not being able to get behind the three-point line on that shot actually cost them the game. That they lost by one. Uh, but but they're up three there. And then Harden came right back, and this is their one of the many times that they screwed up guarding the small small pick and roll Steph and Clay Steph was trying to stay attached to Harden and let Clay get back failed to do so and then uh, Clay failed to do so and then Harden just waltzed right in for a layup and the other guys I mean you've got Tucker out there it was Tucker Ariza and Mute. the fact that you'd have no help at the rim at all uh from guys like KD and McCaw and Sean Livingston like those guys should know better to at least like not give up a layup and force one of those guys I mean they were up three so maybe that 
that was a concern but that was pretty ugly uh then the next play eric gordon did a great job of stripping kd in the post after they tried what was actually a one five pick and roll they run this play a lot where steph will run an iverson cut and then usually the center will sprint out but to the wing to get a quick pick and roll but Steph got bumped off of his spot and then KD who's like not the greatest at moving off the ball with force took forever to get over there because he was getting ridden and they didn't really get a clean look at it they had to settle for a switch and then Gordon just stripped KD going to his left uh and you know the Warriors offense I mean they got a couple of good looks uh but Houston again you know they didn't blow it defensively down the end as you would expect a lot of teams to and, and they forced the Warriors to go one-on-one or uh to uh throw it away as they did once and then I thought one of the stories of this game was just that I think Houston was very well prepared to play the Warriors just they knew what they were going to do they knew what they wanted to do yeah. and, and an example that that you keyed on more than I did was that they were doing it with with switching they were they were countering the Warriors have gotten better over the years at pre-switching but so Houston was just set a double screen so they could get the guy they wanted anyway yeah yeah and now in the finals Golden State was much more locked in on that right like you know Draymond was there directing traffic if there was a double screen they'd make sure that whoever came out the end you know wasn't Steph Curry trying to guard LeBron and Steph just got stuck on Harden pretty much every time uh did an okay job I mean he actually stopped Harden the last two times uh, but this was really the play of the game where Harden drove, missed a floater. P.J. Tucker kept it alive. The ball got swung to Eric Gordon, who took a deep three. That rimmed in and out. And then Tucker got another rebound over Sean Livingston and went to the foul line, hit two free throws. And that ended up giving Houston that final margin uh, of 122-121 um, after Golden State then couldn't score on uh, their yeah, last Yeah, so then they, they, it was a, just a bad pass on the second to last possession. So then Houston got the ball back, but they had to, you know, had to, well, yeah, of Well, course. can I talk about that real quick? Because they had, Sean Livingston was being guarded by Ariza. He went up to set the screen for Curry and it looked like they were going to double Curry. And then Ariza, I thought actually made a great play. I didn't think this was like, I mean, it wasn't a great pass. And Livingston maybe could have attacked the ball a little bit more, but it looked like Livingston had slipped the screen successfully and Ariza was able to get back to him and deflect that pass, which was impressive. Um, Harden then missed a three on Steph and it looked like P.J. Tucker had committed an over-the-backbreaker uh, on KD, which would have given the Warriors free throws, except they weren't in the penalty somehow at the end. You'll see that a lot with the Warriors. And so they had to run uh, the last play from ha- half court to try and uh, yeah, and win the Ariza game. Yeah, and Ariza actually got a deflection ran some of the time off and then contested the other one so they had to start that last play in the backcourt and then so you have you had Luke Richard and Bob Mute who's in the game right decision get on to Steph and and so then I mean it's it's a crazy play because he ended up Steph got a way better look than I expected eventually but it just you know it's a make or miss league yeah and it was the play design was to start Clay Thompson screening for Steph Curry he then sprinted to the opposite side of the floor after which KD set a, a pretty good screen for Steph and Bob Mute went for the steal Steph just beat him to the ball and then was wide open Tucker tried to break through couldn't do it I mean it's as good a look as you can expect I mean maybe you might want to get a two there but it's a wide open three for Steph Curry that missed though and Sean Livingston made two great plays to tap it he found Durant and Harden did well to get out to Durant and just make him put it on the floor Durant could have probably still gone up but he felt he had time to put it on the floor and get the shot off everyone live thought that it was good but then it was clear that it, it was too late and uh the Rockets one it was somewhat of a similar feel I thought to the game that uh the Draymond Green kicking 
James Harden in the head game that went into double overtime last year where Golden State Green ended up out of it by the end I think Steph fouled out as well he was in foul trouble this game and so Houston won this war of attrition at the end the difference being that I thought Houston's offense looked much better down the end of this one than it did in that game last year where it was just ended up being as I said this war of attrition so you know I think good start for Houston especially considering that they got nothing from Chris Paul in this game their main guys look good and I mean that's all you can take I'm not going to favor them to beat the Warriors the Warriors were significantly handicapped by both foul trouble and injuries Omri Caspi also like after James Harden flopped to the ground to try and draw a call slipped on on his wet spot and re-sprained his ankle so he's someone who might have been playing at the end too for the Warriors so they were very short-handed not gonna hit the panic button there our 69 win projection is not looking as good after this one loss uh but I think it was more really about Houston playing well in this one than Golden State just yeah being so I would terrible. completely agree with that and it's going to be exciting to watch Houston all year they're going to have to still figure a lot of this out but the elements that I think made us both so excited about this team are are absolutely there let's talk about this crazy Miritich Portis thing uh the two had been jostling and a few trips up and down the floor this per reporting from Casey Johnson among others and Shams I think broke it initially Woj was in there too um you know they engaged in some shoving and I think Casey had the closest was most specific about it that there was only one punch thrown and the only punch was thrown by Portis and you know I, I don't know I mean we weren't there obviously you would can't say necessarily if they were shoving each already that that's necessarily a sucker punch but you know you probably don't expect that from your teammate just punch you in the face and Miritich big problems I mean he has a concussion he was down on the floor for a matter of minutes afterwards like facial fractures they're talking about four to six weeks of him being out now Portis is going to be suspended at least multiple games the league office is involved I mean I think I mean, I can't remember the last time a teammate injured another teammate this badly. I mean, even that OJ Mayo, Tony Allen thing wasn't anywhere close to where the guy's going to miss this much time. I don't think, in fact, I can't think of this ever happening where a teammate punched another teammate and he missed like months, you know, or, or a month. I mean, this is, the more I think about it, almost an unprecedented incident. And now you have to wonder, like, what's the discipline going to be for Portis? Are they going to decline his option? I mean, it seems almost unfair if he is able to come back before Mirchich, he's almost going to benefit from punching his own teammate because he's going to get the playing time i did not want to learn about maxillary fractures mid face not not fun i mean and the bulls are saying surgery is likely required that's where you get to the four to six week time frame and it it it's such a shame i mean not only i mean portis is playing for you know his nba career miritich has an basically a team option for next year and the bulls you know while we don't have high hopes for them you know you at least wanted to see them at at you know maybe not full strength but at something close to it and who knows what the ripple effects of this are going to be long term the silver lining of sorts is that Lowry Markkinen is probably going to get a, a much better opportunity to show himself and they will have a, a you know an, an opportunity to evaluate him with whoever the heck their starters are but I mean it's just a tough situation to start a year with it just puts kind of it's it's not the same kind of Paul as what happened to Gordon Hayward but it's certainly another kind of cloud well and then I mean can you imagine that like those two guys having to be teammates after this like and Portis I guess the organization kind of believes in it but it was, looks like it was trending in the way that Portis might be out of the rotation behind Markin and, and Miritich so I guess Markin 
is just going to start at the four now uh, they also could make paul zipser the four but unfortunately he's also the only three that they have so i mean maybe denzel valentine will play at the three but then they don't really have a ton of depth on the wing there either uh with zach levine out and pondexter out and who knows if he's going to come back he's got this hamstring injury he'll probably get a chance at some point uh you know lopez and felicio you can't really play those guys together so i mean marketing is going to probably play 30 minutes a game and but Miritich might have been this team's best player uh and now he's gonna miss these probably four to six weeks I mean it's really just pretty bad and just not cool by by, by Bobby Portis obviously and, and I mean you know I think especially with his considering his middling talent like I would think very seriously if I were the Bulls about just simply like I mean I don't know what the circumstances were maybe Miritich just said something that was like so out of line to him but you know Nico seems like a pretty nice guy he's a little bit of an irritant but I mean you just to lose your cool like that it, in a practice and like injure the guy that seriously i mean all right it's fine if you want to like get into some shoving or you want to tackle the guy or whatever but like that kind of a punch that can do that kind of damage is just like really beyond the pall and so i mean i like i think especially considering portis's talent level like i might consider just releasing the guy frankly you have to consider it and as you said there's a lot of context that we don't know but it's you know at, at that point just with the the issues with the locker room i think you really want to talk not only with these two players but with the rest of the players too too, to, to get a sense of where they are on this, because if it fractures the locker room, that's a big problem. You know, not only, you know, if the players are on different sides, because whether or not Bobby Portis and Nikola Miritich are on this team long term, a lot of their other guys probably will be. And so you want them to be on the same page. Let's get some news now. The biggest thing that's happened since we last recorded is this LaMarcus Aldridge extension, which came absolutely out of nowhere. What happened here is he opted in to the last year of his deal and that was for 22.3 million and then he was allowed to get an extension on top of that starting at 120 percent of his salary for next year and that means that he's able to get up to 26 million which he did actually maybe a little bit more than that which he did for 2019-20 and then in 2020-21 he is due 24 million only 7 million of that is guaranteed with a guarantee date of 629 in 2020 so there wasn't necessarily a deadline here because if you have two years left on your contract which he does still you you can only do it up until the season starts but he could have just opted out later in the season and signed for the exact same amount next year it just it would have been a little bit different because you couldn't have had as big of a gap between the two years and maybe that's what they were trying to go for uh to keep his salary a little bit lower for next year but anyway danny what did you think of this whole thing first of all it was a really big surprise and for reference this covers his age 33 34 and the partially guaranteed season is his age 35 season because he his birthday is during the off season so it's pretty clean in terms of that and i think that it's not terrible money for him but at the same point I don't think they got a real big value here which is why you do an extension you know an extension is supposed to be to a degree risk mitigation from both sides and I don't think there was a lot of risk mitigation from the Spurs here there was a ton from Aldridge's perspective and then you also have to see this in the collective and the collective here is what San Antonio did this entire summer because they were looking like they could be on the precipice of being one of the major players in in the 2018 offseason Kawhi Leonard's last year on this relatively cheap 
contract just because of the way the salary cap jumped. Instead, now they're locked in with LaMarcus. They're locked in with Pau Gasol, who's making almost $17 million next year. Patty Mills is probably making about $12 million. I don't have the exact figures for him yet. And so that's a lot of money that they've committed. And so the reasonable expectation has to be that the Spurs we see in 2018-19 are going to be very similar to the Spurs we see this year. Yeah. Aldridge also will not be eligible to be traded now for six months because this extension is uh too long under the mellow rule so they can't trade him this year now he's going to be on the team for sure this year maybe next off season he, he could potentially be traded well and but it has a trade bonus the, yeah has yeah. a 15 yeah, percent that's bonus. right as did his last contract so there's yes. no way they're going to be able to negotiate out of that <laughs> to take that away this time if you already had it you know just do the anchoring there um so i mean let's look at it try to understand what the spurs were thinking i think Number one, they assumed, hey, he's going to opt in next year to this $22.3 million. And that having that impression maybe is what drove a lot of some of these things that they've done where they used up some of their cap space with Patty Mills, used it up with, with Gasol, though I think that a lot of that was just to get him to opt out so they would have flexibility last year. And now, uh, because they failed there, maybe this is a little bit of an overreaction against going the cap space route uh so aldridge let's say he was going to opt in there and then it's really only you know the next year is the 26 million i think he's nearly certain to be overpaid at that amount in 2019-20 and but keep in mind that his max was would have been 35 million and in 2019-20 it's supposed to jump a little bit so his max might even been closer to 37 million that year and then he's got the 7 million guarantee for the year after that which is a, a fair amount of money still even if you stretch that that's going to be over two million um and so I, and I think it's pretty likely that they will in fact either trade him or uh just cut him at that point you know there's no way he's going to be worth i think 24 million as as a 35 year old that year but just what generally and so i understand maybe all right you know this is like okay value it, it reminds me a little bit of the tony parker extension they did which has turned out to be a terrible deal um but aldridge doesn't have the equity of that tony parker did with the organization where there's really like a need to take care of him so i i just think that if you want it like this might help them it maybe lowers their downside risk a little bit because maybe you could have left for nothing and maybe they couldn't replace him i would rather just have 26 million dollars on the 2019 free agent market than lamarcus aldridge um but i guess they see it differently yeah i mean we all had kind of fallen in love with the prospect of what they could do really rebuilding around Kawhi leonard and what my wonder here is we've always assumed that this is tony parker's last year under contract with the Spurs or at least on a high value deal considering the way that they took care of LaMarcus can we be sure of that anymore like if Parker shows a little bit from and you know at the end of this year that they just just say hey we've already spent the money and go into it and it's disappointing for me from that perspective because I like every team to reach their potential but you know the Spurs are cultivating an MO I guess and choosing a, a, a strange place to continue that because as you said he hadn't built up the equity the big thing and KP noted this at the end of his piece was we loved where they were as an organization because in the summer of 2018 which would have been the last is the last year that Kawhi Leonard is going to be a pretty small amount the next year after that he has a player option but he's going to opt out of that in the summer of 2019 and then his cap hold is going to go up to 30 million and he'll almost certainly be eligible for the designated player veteran extension at that point as well so he's he's going to have a massive cap charge after that going forward so really it was incumbent upon them either this last summer when they tried and failed or 
this next summer that's your last chance to add a star next to Kawhi Leonard and and when you consider some of the powerhouses that are in the league at this point LaMarcus Aldridge is not that star he's only declining uh Pau Gasol certainly not that star if you look at guys that they have in the pipeline I mean unless DeJounte Murray becomes another Tony Parker that's really about all they have in terms of options now they don't have any outs to find that star unless they're going to try and trade Aldridge maybe they think he's going to be worth something but they don't have the chips to compete with a team like Boston or plenty of other teams in terms of having some ammo for a team with a disgruntled star that's trying to rebuild the Marcus Aldridge is not going to be that player and he's going to just continue to get worse it just to me maybe they lower their downside a little bit but the path to remaining in championship contention was always going to be hey you know what we're going to get a second star to pair with Kawhi Leonard yeah you know they were great last year they were kind of close to Golden State uh but Aldridge is only going to get worse after that and it's just it seems like really a missed opportunity to me uh and odds are now that they never find that second star agreed and one of the other intriguing things about the beginning of this week is it was the extension deadline for as you said you know for guys that have multiple years remaining on their contract and also for rookie scale extensions and Lamarcus was really the only one that happened in that window there were of course a fair number of extensions we've already talked about undunked on that already occurred and so a lot of players are going to be grinding this year knowing that they're going into an extremely narrow restricted market next summer yes that's right and let's get to these non-extensions now basically i mean did we have any any other ones i don't think we did since we last discussed no, it I right think it was gary harris and wiggins yeah wiggins wiggins happened we talked about him mm-hmm. and so really i mean i think we only had three who's the third one that i'm forgetting joel Embiid. yes so those are the only three that's gotta be well, no and then tj warren also had one thank you yeah okay so that's so that's four and i i would also say that pretty much all of those extensions were player friendly which usually the the extension should be a little bit more team friendly but i think what really was an issue was the extensions that happened and even the veteran contracts that were given out in the summer of 2017 even though that was a correction from 2016 people don't understand that it's going to be even tighter in 2018 and so it's really going to be difficult now all of these restrictive rates some of them are going to be out in the cold i think teams are going to get some pretty darn good deals uh and guys like you know mark Marcus Smart or Nurkic or Rodney Hood. I mean, I don't know how much those guys were getting offered, but I would be surprised if a lot of these guys do as well in restricted free agency as they might have gotten in an extension. And don't forget, too, an extension, you're, you've got a whole year of risk before then that you're shifting onto the team. So unless these guys just absolutely blow up, I think many of them will regret not taking the offers that were made. The other huge weight that is on a lot of these players is that they're not in situations where they they gain leverage because team uh, other suitors would think that their team won't match like let's say Zach Levine is a great example of this Zach Levine has to go to that other team and basically say you're making me an offer sheet so the Bulls will match it you know you're not sitting there saying oh you can steal me away and that's a big problem for a lot of these guys I would say that's a big issue for Yusuf Nurkic for Aaron Gordon in all likelihood possibly Alfred Payton so even these guys that are that are intriguing Marcus Smart could be another one of these if he has a good year then teams there aren't many teams with space in the first place and the teams with space are going to have to wait out the other process and they're not going to want to be used as pawns because there are so few teams with money that they can do better things with it here are the teams that i project to have more money than the mid-level exception next year atlanta brooklyn if lynn opts out chicago indiana the lakers philly san antonio is probably out of those sweepstakes now so that is 
Uh, oh, and Dallas maybe in in that market too. So that's seven teams. Now, many of those are not going to wait around for restricted free agents. A lot of those are kind of in rebuilding mode. But think of all the guys who turned down extensions here, right? Like Aaron Gordon, Alfred Payton, Levine, Yusuf Nurkic, Rodney Hood. And then you still got Jabari Parker out there, smart, Clint Capella. Julius Randle will probably be in that mix. So, I mean, you've got more than seven players. Not all seven of those teams are going to make offers to restricted free agents, are going to wait around until, and it's not even July 8th now. They're, whatever team it is is going to do the BS that the Wizards did to, with the physical to make it until like July 10th or 12th or something. How, you really think that all these teams, like there are going to be a lot of guys out in the cold with just no offers next summer. And I think, maybe the players just couldn't stomach it because they saw guys like Evan Turner or you know Tim Hardaway or this year or just some of the crazy contracts that went around they're like hey I'm better than that guy and they're right they're better than that guy but the market is just different now and I think maybe that some of these guys at least could have said hey you know let's go for something where we're have a shorter duration and I can get back on the market sooner potentially or or take a lower in an annual value now just to get some security and then get back on the market sooner with the player option like but it just seems like all of these guys did not make the right decision and you know i'm sure it'll come out of like what these guys actually were offered uh but i think most of them are going to get less in restricted free agency and they're going to get less security and you talked about risk the other part to consider here is that for a lot of these guys their best quote-unquote resource there is going to be trying to threatening to sign a qualifying offer then they're going to be an unrestricted free agent another year be paying a lot taking a lot less money for that year and taking on a whole lot of risk so there aren't many outs it's going to be a really really grisly protracted offseason for a lot of these guys all right we have a trade to announce here the cavaliers with the signing of Dwayne wade had 16 players k felder was kind of always going to get cut and so they then traded a second rounder and cash to atlanta with richard jefferson who had been set to make 2.5 million still going to make that but uh ended up getting cut by the hawks same with k felder who was cut by the hawks the bulls then claimed him off waivers so the hawks save a, a bunch of money too bad for Cleveland that they had to give up some money to trade Felder away with his guarantee only to have him get claimed off waivers so the Hawks get to save that money now not the Cavs and but that transaction does save Cleveland uh, about 12 million dollars so probably worth it to send three million in cash plus that second rounder to save yourself 12 million and then jefferson now is glommed on with the denver nuggets who we were speculating who are they going to wave who are they going to wave they have this full roster and surprisingly enough they waved jameer nelson of all players even though he has guaranteed money nelson should be someone that a point guard desperate team the hornets could really use uh, although they're so close to the tax that they, they're probably going to think twice about it unless they can get off some other money and uh, all some musical chairs here but what do you I mean, I think the financial component we've covered, but what do you think of uh, what Denver decided to do here? It's a really big risk to put so much on their young point guards. I mean, so now Jamal Murray and Emmanuel Moutier are really the only guys they have that yeah, can play that position. But, but like, I mean, I don't think Nelson was even that much better than those guys. There. I mean, he was like, well, it's okay, that much better, but it's like option. if somebody gets hurt, you know, if, if that over the course of the season, yeah, they have Monty Morris on a two way contract, but that's a rookie point guard. And this Denver team yeah. has expectations. But, but like so, Harrison 
Barton can handle the ball. I think I, yeah. I think they'll, they'll survive it okay. if they have to. But yeah. and, and RJ can certainly help because they needed as they have an army of forwards, but those forwards are not small forwards. So I think they can can benefit from that. I don't need to rehash my issues with their offseason outside of the Millsap move, which was great. And so I'm not going to. But RJ will add some depth to them. And, and the Nuggets benefited in the last couple of years from having a veteran small forward, you know, a high character guy to kind of get their guys in line. That was Mike Miller before. So RJ can can fill that role for them. Yeah, and with them losing Nelson, they do need still that old head available in what could be a difficult locker room with all these guys who think they should be playing. And the one thing to watch here... Juan Hernan Gomez maybe this means he plays more at the four and Trey Lyles is out of the rotation or maybe it means that he and Lyles split time at the four and Jefferson plays more or it means still that Hernan Gomez is going to be the backup three still uh he's looked better as a backup three than I expected still think his best position is the four so we'll see they may play end up playing RJ a little bit too much Uh, they obviously were competing with other teams to sign him we'll see whether he has anything left as well he had a really rough regular season last year had some moments at times in the playoffs but I mean I think just getting some more depth in like a real three is something they need to do it's just you know always a concern especially with Mike Malone that he might get played a little bit too much on the injury front a couple of different notable ones Dante Exum decided to have surgery and while that's disappointing not in terms of a decision but in terms that he has to have surgery we don't know the exact timeline yet but he was looking you know like the the clear-cut backup point guard there that duty now falls I would say it's probably to Howell Neto they could do a a couple different things with it but the jazz you know now the jazz had figured it out and he's another guy who for more logical reasons some of the other ones is going to be going to the restricted market next year yeah and we don't know precisely what the timetable is going to be for exum yet it's possible still that he could return this season doesn't have that feeling uh but it's possible we don't know that he's out for sure yet a couple other ones here that that we can talk about Kawhi Leonard not expected to play in the season opener we talked about that on the predictions but still worth reiterating we still have no idea how long he's going to be out you never know with the Spurs but the fact that he was ruled out so soon before the season opener certainly an issue um Memphis and some interesting cuts actually we'll do some injuries first George Hill hoping to make his debut on Wednesday he's got a groin issue that was something that plagued him in addition to that toe last year that's something to watch although I happen to think for the Kings it might be better if just De'Aaron Fox gets the keys sooner rather than later there Andre Guadala questionable for actually we shouldn't say that because we were recording this beforehand but uh he actually either played or didn't in the (laughs) in the game today so no point in discussing that uh Joel Embiid had some interesting comments today saying basically that he thinks the minutes limit that he's going to be on, we don't know exactly what that's going to be yet, is fucking bullshit. My virgin ears. But uh, yeah, I mean, we'll have fun on Wednesday's Twitter NBA show covering that game and then the Spurs without Kawhi. I mean, there's just going to be a lot to talk about with those teams. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot a lot going on here. But let's get into the, the, the final roster decisions with some of these teams because these were significant. So Memphis had a crunch, like they had a lot of guarantees spots and they had a lot of guys who outperformed so what they ended up doing was they kept mario chalmers andrew harrison and jarrell martin who had previously been reported they basically told he was going to cut and they cut wade baldwin 
who was a late first round pick in 2016, and Rade Zagorac, who they just gave a three-year contract to. And that is significant, first of all, because it is them cutting bait on some some t- things that they had real investment in. And I think that's the right decision if you think that those guys were the worst players. But that is money on, on their books, and Memphis did shed a fair amount of money this year from veterans, at least partially probably, because they you know were worried about the tax and all that, and this was, in a way, wasted money. And then the other big question that I have here is Jarrell Martin, because of the new timeline, he still has two weeks to see whether his option gets picked up. And if they don't pick up his option, then that seems like a real waste because if he's good enough that he's on the roster and his option isn't worth that much money, they might as well pick it up. Yeah, really weird that it came out at the start of camp that he was likely going to get waived. And then I guess he just played so well in camp that they're like, all right, we'll keep this guy around. And Wade Baldwin had shown very little in his rookie year and in summer league. But man, I mean, that's it's usually like not even one guy per year who gets his third year option decline and gets weighed. I mean, RJ Hunter was the one guy that last year. And I certainly, I will say this, I can't recall any time that anyone along those lines has ever gone on to do something. And certainly you would have to say that perhaps his attitude problems had something to do with this. And he was, he was supposed to be this really athletic guy, but you know, I never quite saw that with him and the ball didn't go in the basket for him. So, uh, and it's just, I mean, Andrew Harrison has just been better than him, although Harrison is certainly one of the worst offensive players in basketball and, you know, hasn't shot, I mean, he shot like 38% in college. <laughs> so it's not like he's got some history of shooting the ball well, but he's at least pretty good defensively, which Baldwin wasn't. And then, you know, the, the emergence of guys like Wayne Selden, we mentioned Harrison, and then Mario Chalmers actually coming back from the Achilles. He's looked pretty good in preseason. So I don't know that this is so much an indication of these guys being bad, which it is, but it's also an indication of hey you know we found cheaper freer talent that's just outperformed these guys and so regardless of pedigree we're just going to keep them they give us a better chance to win along similar lines the utah jazz kept swingman royce o'neill and waived joel ballenboy who had this weird contract where his 2017-18 money guaranteed during last season and they kept him around i've had this lingering question of why utah gave him so much money he was a very late second round pick and he didn't make the team well I think the reason was that just in that environment especially at a time when you didn't know how much like uh, uh Dallas got screwed by this too with AJ Hammonds right that's part of why that trade to Miami happened was because when you're giving guys the minimum that was just such a small amount compared to where the cap was and everyone had so much cap space then those minimums went way up and it actually became real money again like it did for Hammonds you know you're looking at 1.3 million for second year guys and almost 1.5 for third year guys now and that made those contracts a little more unpalatable they you felt like hey any second round if we can get him on a three-year deal we might as well give him some guaranteed money because uh money is cheap but uh it stopped growing on trees uh, unfortunately for a lot of these teams and then o'neill i'm actually completely unfamiliar with him looking to see i think they felt with x amount they need a little bit more depth on the wing and they certainly have uh, a surfeit of big guys there uh what else we got here any other interesting waivers and keeps i don't think there were any other interesting waivers and keeps that i can think of but the other thing we should talk about is the the, the points of emphasis came out more formalized for NBA referees, and it was what we thought it would be. Continuation, kind of seeing how they see the actions and closeouts, which became a big point of concern during the playoffs. Yeah, that, that had come out. Basically, the idea is that it doesn't sound, at least based on this, that it's really that bright line. It's just that the line is going to be changed to just emphasize, all right, did the guy really gather the ball before the contact occurred on continuation? And one of the other things, 
things is it says uh many of these plays will be deemed non-shooting fouls primarily because one the shooter is bringing the ball upward after contact or facing or lunging away from the basket or both and that's that's what it is right it's that's a legalese way of saying hey this is some bullshit shot that wasn't a real shot attempt the guy's just throwing it up there to try and draw a foul you know this isn't a shot the guy legitimately thought he had a chance of making uh, out in the perimeter so i am hopeful that they will enforce that pretty well and make those non-shooting fouls and uh you know that during the tour nba show we'll be right there to point it out in a rant if this is not enforced the way we would like it to be (laughs) disappointing that we're not doing the clippers or the rockets this week but we'll see them in the future so we shall so we shall once again also we talked about this a little bit the plan in philly is for Markel Fultz to come off the bench to start the season brett brown pointed to the fact that he didn't play much in the preseason i really still hope that that's the only reason that he's coming off the bench to start with uh but we'll we'll see how he looks and it may give philly a little bit better balance to not have two pure rookies in the starting lineup to start with but still a concern when your number all number one overall pick isn't starting for you and that i think will do it thanks so much for listening don't forget about our sponsors today draft it's not too late to join for fantasy basketball what is the highest rated fantasy football app draft download the app anytime search draft in your app store and join a game in minutes or play right from your computer on draft.com with their sneak draft format for limited time only all new players get a free entry into a draft when you make your first deposit but use my promo code capspace to make sure you do that and of course let them know that you came from us play a real money game for free use that promo code capspace on your first deposit with the draft app and draft.com at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply